Good morning from Stanford Christian Church. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Today we will hear God speak through the prophet Zechariah about 500 years before Jesus was born in Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Speak aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This coming week, we call Passion Week. There is one week from the time Jesus entered Jerusalem until the time that he rose from the dead. It begins with Palm Sunday, which is today, and goes through, through Easter next Sunday. So today we call Palm Sunday. When Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. The gospel writers even quote the Old Testament verse in their telling of the story, leaving no guessing or trying to connect the dots. Jesus knew that he is going to be killed in Jerusalem, but he loves you and knew the work that must be done for you. So he goes. He tells two of his disciples to go and get a donkey. Now, a donkey is the animal a king rides if he has peaceful intentions. It's not a war horse or a regal animal meant for power. Instead, the donkey is a humble animal, as the prophet Zechariah explains. The disciples obtain the animal, and Jesus rides into town. Now, the people are waiting for him. They throw their coats and palm branches down on the road for Jesus' mount to walk on, hence the name Palm Sunday, the, the people shouted, Hosanna, which means praise, to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The scene is a victorious king entering the city. Palm branches signify triumphant celebration. They are celebrating him as the son of David, pointing to the royal line of the king of Israel. They are lifting him up as a king. Don't forget they will write, Jesus of Nazareth, king of Jew, the Jews, above him on the cross when he has died. The people shout that he comes in the name of the Lord, meaning he is God's representative. Notice that the people do not acknowledge the donkey. They ignore the humility. They were all in on the king, though. Jesus is being talked about everywhere. In the days leading up to the entry to Jerusalem, he has raised Lazarus from the dead and performed many other miracles. He has really gone viral. His stock is high. To really understand what this all means, not what the people wanted it to mean, not what they intended, but to understand what God wants us to see in this story, we must grasp Zechariah 9, 9-10. We need to know that Jesus is the king of kings. His kingdom, his authority is forever with no end, and it stretches to the ends of the earth whether people recognize it or not. The people grasped that. But they did not understand his kingdom is radically different from, than all others. The kingdom of Jesus is characterized by peace and humility. The primary command in his kingdom is to love. And the one who will be first is the servant. Listen to the prophecy of Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10 again. And here God declare the type of king Jesus will be. So rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king has come to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He is victorious and triumphant and he is humble, commanding peace to the nations. The people expected him to lead them to fight the Romans and to restore the nation of Israel. However, Jesus is not concerned about that. Isn't it amazing how we see what we want? The triumph and the victory, and we conveniently leave out what doesn't fit or picture the humility and peace. We struggle with the same things today. People want a Jesus and a church who will battle the culture and beat their enemies and hold political power, but Jesus is doing something way bigger than that. Today, we're going to describe Jesus' kingship in three ways and discuss how we follow him in light of those truths. He is victorious, humble, and peaceful. Our king is certainly victorious. Now, it was not an earthly military victory over the Roman legions. Instead, it was the full and complete destruction of the power of sin and hate and death in our hearts. Listen, because this is big today. He isn't fighting his enemies. He is transforming them. Let me say that again. He isn't fighting his enemies. He is transforming them. He doesn't want to kill them or beat them. He wants to bring them onto his team. Do you understand what that means for you and the way you interact with God and the way you interact with others? Do not fight your enemies. Seek their renewal through Jesus. Do not try to beat those who you oppose. Show them a better way. Jesus didn't just cut a limb off the tree of evil, right? He dug up the whole root system. He essentially ignored the political realities of his day because he saw them as a symptom, not the problem. Jesus came to heal the whole problem. His victory is won, not with swords or arrows, but through the love, death, and resurrection. He could have called in the angels and raised a human army and swept the world, but that is not who he is. It's not the type of kingdom he desired. The very first phrase in Zechariah's prophecy is rejoice greatly. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 reads, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God intends for you to be joyous. One of the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit grows in believers is joy. Our King is victorious and joyous. We should not live defeated, frustrated, stressed out, anxious lives because our God is not defeated, frustrated, stressed out, or anxious. He is one, and that should drive us to always celebrate. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is always going to be perfect and that we will never suffer, hurt, or mourn. But it means that even in those times, we know that Jesus wins and has a glorious future for us so we can still smile in the middle of the storm. We can look forward to and celebrate the sunrise coming after the dark that we stand in. Today, you need to know that Jesus has defeated your sin. You can overcome it. You need to know that Jesus Jesus triumphed over your guilt. It does not hold you. He broke through death. It will not keep you either. He walks with you wiping away the fears, preparing your future, and working in and through you to win the war, finish the race, overcome every evil. Celebrate Jesus. 
We celebrate here at church, and you need to gather with others to celebrate. This is never optional. It's always assumed in the Bible that believers are gathering with others. When we do gather, it needs to be a celebration because our king is victorious and triumphant. We win. There are times to mourn, times to be contemplative. We need to celebrate way more, though. Even in those somber moments, we celebrate his victory. When you realize you are overtaken by a frown, you are down or defeated, that is when you need to focus on and celebrate God's victories more than ever. You should also celebrate on your own every day. Make sure that every day you have moments of praise, adoring and thanking God in prayer and singing along and enjoying Christian music. Those are two good ways to celebrate God every single day. Our king is victorious. He is also humble and peaceful. Let's consider these two attributes together because they contribute to one another. Jesus lived and taught love for others. And that's part of the greatest command. Love is to consider others before yourself, to put their interests, feelings, needs before your own. Love always leads to peace. He doesn't overcome his enemies through force or hate or harshness. Instead, he dies on the cross to forgive us, and then he rose up in victory. How do you influence people? What do you do to get others to do what you want? Do you use force, intimidation, harsh words, hate? Do you shun them, ignore them, talk bad about them to others, or try to ruin them? Or do you humble yourself, serve them, care for them, pray for them, give to them? Love them. Listen to how Paul describes our following King Jesus in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. I think it would be of great benefit to memorize this passage or even just read it regularly as a reminder of the king we follow. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so... You will heat burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Fire can be very destructive. If you want to put a fire out, you do not throw more fire at it. Instead, you have to take away its fuel, cover it with something so there's no oxygen or cool it down. You, you take away the surrounding material so that there's nothing for it to spread to. This is the same way that we should respond to the world's fights, to attacks, to those who oppose us and have different viewpoints. Do not be overcome by evil. This is what you do when you fight back. You add harshness and bitterness. You're just adding to the fire. Even if you overcome them, you just replace their fire with yours. Instead, overcome it with love and patience and gentleness and prayer to extinguish the fire altogether. When you serve and care for and pray for those who oppose you and those you don't like, then you will be following your king. You will be living out his kingdom. 
Now, I know it feels like you're letting them get the best of you. You're letting them get away with it. Go, it goes unanswered. Humble yourself. Realize that it's not so. Instead, you're playing a whole different game. Not to beat them, but to renew them. To transfer them to the king, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of God. You're showing them a whole better way. The way of Jesus. I will gladly lose the game of hate and harsh words and bitterness. Loving one another has already won the day when Jesus rose from the dead. And even if you win by force, intimidation, defaming your opponent, you have only added to the fire of hate. Jesus came to put that fire out altogether. And that is why he rides into the city of David, triumphant and victorious and humble, to bring peace to all nations in all hearts. Thank you so much for listening to Stanford Christian Church today. Once again, my name is Pastor Jeremy, and we are so glad that you've listened. Go to our website, www.stanfordchristianchurch.com. Once again, that's www.stanfordchristianchurch.com. Once you get there, click on the Contact Us tab and let us know you're listening, how we can pray for you, and, and how we can serve you. We would love for you to come join us in person. Every Sunday at 9.45 is Sunday school, and at 10.50 a.m. is our worship gathering. So every Sunday morning, 10.50 a.m. is our worship gathering. Please come and join us. We are right on Main Street beside the courthouse in Stanford, Kentucky. Once again, we are Stanford Christian Church. As always, have a great week. Love God, love others, and tell somebody about Jesus.